My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. And if you're joining me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcast, thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed this continued journey through the book of the Gospel of Matthew. Today we are looking at chapter 13 and we're going to be looking at verse 1 to 23. And uh, this is where Jesus starts telling some kingdom parables. And uh, it's Jesus' real introduction to teaching with parables. So we start off with Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. On the same day Jesus went out of the house. Now, the same day is the day that he's just had this incredibly deep conversation with the religious leaders. He has performed miracles. He's cast out evil spirits. He's had a conversation with them about how they can be part of the family of God. Same day he went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables. I'm going to stop it there. Jesus sometimes used a boat as his pulpit. Uh, it basically gave him a place to speak. It was away from the press of the crowds. It provided good acoustics. Uh, it was probably a nice backdrop. You know, one of the things that I love about going to Israel is, is the, the visual feast that it is. Uh, but I also love the boat ride on the Sea of Galilee and just thinking about Jesus uh, being on the sea in a boat and looking up at the hills. Um, when Jesus taught from a boat, it was probably a very new thing. Nobody else had ever done it because most people were taught in synagogues. Nobody thought, you know, that you can teach outdoors. No, that teaching happened in the synagogue. That's where it belonged. Uh, and I'm sure that there were probably people who, you know, religious leaders who tried to come up with objections. No, no you, can't, you can't teach outside, but, you know, it's raining. Now people will get sick. Uh, no, there's a whole lot of you know, bugs down by the seashore. You know, I don't know. Um, maybe somebody might drown who doesn't know how to swim. But Jesus decided that preaching from a boat suited his purposes well enough. William Barclay, when the doors of the synagogue were closed against him, he took to the temple of the open air, taught men and women in the village streets, on the roads, by the lakeside, and in their own homes. Now, this was interesting because the teacher sat and the people who were listening and being taught stood. Uh, Spurgeon said this, we should have less sleeping in our church congregations if we still had this arrangement prevail. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, the preacher sits down when the sermon time came, preacher sits down and the whole congregation stood up. That'd, that'd get a whole lot of attention, wouldn't it? Then he spoke to them these things in parables. The idea behind the word parable is to throw alongside of. It's a story thrown alongside of truth intended to teach that truth. Parables have been called earthly stories with heavenly meanings. RT France, the Greek parabole or parabole, sorry, is wider than our English word parable. In the Septuagint, Septuagint, there you go. It's a tough word that, isn't it? It translates masal which includes proverbs, riddles, and wise sayings, as well as parables. 
Matthew uses it, for instance, for Jesus' cryptic saying about defilement in Matthew chapter 15 and in Matthew 24. He uses the word as a lesson and it indicates a comparison. Parables generally teach one main point of uh, a principle. Now, where we can get into trouble with parables is expecting them to be some kind of intricate system of theology uh, where, where the, every small detail reveals some kind of hidden truth. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to see parables for what they are. There's something that go alongside of the truth. Remember that. Okay, so he starts off his first parable in uh, the second half of verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus spoke according to the agricultural customs of his day. And in those days, seed was scattered first, and then, then it was ploughed into the ground. David Guzik. Before one can be a sower, he must be an eater and a receiver. This one came out of the granary, the place where seed is stored, and from his Bible the sower brought forth seed. So in this parable, the seed falls on four different types of soil. The wayside was the path where people walked, and nothing could grow because the ground was so hard because people walked on it all the time. The stony places was where the soil was so thin, it was just lying on top of rocks. And on this ground, the seeds spring up quickly because of the warmth of the soil, but the seed can't take root because there's rocks underneath it. Then there's the thorns, which describe the soil that is fertile, perhaps too fertile because weeds can grow as well as the grain. Then you have good ground which describes soil that's fertile and it's weed-free. It's good productive crop grows in the good ground. And then Jesus says these words, which he says often, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It wasn't a call for everybody to listen. It was a call for those who were spiritually sensitive to take note. And it was true in light of the next few verses that Jesus was going to explain the purpose of parables because Jesus would know or knew that some people would hear but then not do what he said, which means they didn't really hear it in the first place. Okay, let's go on to verse 10. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see us, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have they have closed, 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. The way that Jesus used parables prompted the disciples to ask, why do you speak in parables? And apparently Jesus' use use of parables wasn't as easy as just simple illustrations of spiritual truth. Jesus explained that he used parables so that the heart of those rejecting would not be hardened further. This is a very interesting understanding. David Guzik, the same sun, S-U-N, in the sky, the same sun that softens the wax also hardens the clay. And so the very same gospel message that humbles the honest heart and leads to repentance may also harden the heart of the dishonest listener and confirm that one in their own path of disobedience. William Barclay. The parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see. It puts the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. It reveals truth to him who desires truth, and it conceals truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. Jesus said, For whomever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The idea is that those who are open and sensitive to spiritual truth, more will be given through the parables. But to those who are not open, who don't have, those ones will end up in even worse condition. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In this sense, the parables of Jesus were not illustrations making difficult things clear, which is what we would like them to be. No, they presented God's message so the spiritually sensitive could understand them, but the hardened heart would merely hear a story without heaping up additional condemnation for rejecting God's word, which they'd already done. David Guzik said this, Parables are an example of God's mercy towards the hardened, the withholding of punishment from them. The parables were given in the context of the Jewish leaders building rejection of Jesus and his work. In this sense, they were examples of mercy given to the undeserving. In them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. By speaking in parables, Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy by the prophet Isaiah many hundreds of years before, speaking in a way that the hardened heart would hear, but not hear. See, not see. The heart of this people has grown dull. The actual Greek word there actually more literally means fat, not dull. The heart of this people has grown fat. Spurgeon said this, they did not really see what they saw nor heard what they hear, what they heard. The plainer the teaching, the more they were puzzled by it. It's like a lot of fat modern day Christians. Uh, the ones who often desire to go deeper in the word are those who do not understand or have not applied the simple principles and the more simple principles that they've already been taught. 
Jesus said, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. In light of this, those who do understand the parables of Jesus are genuinely blessed. Not only do they gain the benefit of tri- you know, spiritual truth being illustrated, but they also display some of the measure of their own responsiveness to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, Jesus further explains the parable. And, and I, I wonder if some of the people that he'd spoken this parable to have now walked away and it's just the disciples who are left. Uh, the people who heard it are like, oh, I don't get it. It's too confusing. Uh, I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to a better, I'm going to somewhere better. I, I don't know. Jesus, it's like he gathers everybody in. He says, this is he who received the seed by the wayside. As the birds devoured the seed on the wayside in Matthew chapter 13. Yeah. So some receive, in verse 4 previously, so some receive the word with hardened hearts. And the wicked one, the devil, quickly snatches it away, the sown word. The word has no effect because it never penetrates. It's quickly removed. And the wayside soil represents those who never really hear the word with understanding. The word of God has to be understood before it can fully bear fruit. One of the devil's chief strategies is to keep Christian people in darkness regarding their understanding of the word of God. That's why you will invite Christians to watch these videos and they'll be like, no, I'm not into that. Do you think Jesus is telling them that? Or do you think the devil's telling them? Who's telling somebody to not further understand the word of God? Because it's not God, I can tell you that. Okay, then we've got the stony places. A seed falling on the thin soil on top of stony places, it it quickly springs up, but it withers and dies. That's how some people respond to the word of God with immediate enthusiasm. You've seen people like that. They, They respond to the gospel message and they're, enthusiastically saved and they very quickly wither away when it just gets too hard that this soil represents those people they receive that word their lives are short-lived because they're not willing to endure any persecution and tribulation because of the word what they want is they want a gospel that saves them and then gives them perfect life and when that gospel doesn't give them the perfect life they lose all hope well what was the point of becoming a christian Spurgeon made a good point. I want you to clearly understand that the fault did not lie in the suddenness of their supposed conversion. Many sudden conversions have been among the best that have ever happened. The problem was not their sudden growth. It was their lack of depth. RT France, tribulation is a general term for suffering which comes from outside. Persecution is deliberately inflicted. 
and usually implies a religious motive. Falls away is literally tripped up. It is not a gradual loss of interest, but a collapse under pressure. So then we've got the soil that Jesus talks about among the thorns. As seed falling among the thorns grew, the stalks of grain were soon choked out, and some respond to the word and they grow for a little bit, but they're choked. And they're stopped in their spiritual growth by competition from unspiritual things. This soil represents the fertile ground that's fertile for the word, but it's too fertile because it's fertile for everything else. And all sorts of other things grow in that soil and choke out the word of God. What, what is it that, that grows really well in that kind of soil? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of rich riches. And then you've got the actual good ground itself. Seed falling on good ground brings a good crop of grain. They're the ones who respond rightly to the word and they bear fruit. The soil represents those who receive the word and it bears fruit in their soil. But it's actually in different proportions because it says, Jesus said some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. Always a multiplication, okay? Never an addition. So they always have a generous harvest, but different, differing proportions. And, and you, you, know, you may have met people like that. There's people like bringing the people to church every week. Somebody's getting saved. They've always got a story. Oh, yeah, I led this person to Jesus. So, you know, and you're like, man, I've done it twice in 40 years. Uh, the reality is, is that we're all called to, to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there is a different proportion of good ground and good soil. So Jesus says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. We benefit from seeing bits of ourselves in all four soils, I think, because like the wayside, sometimes we allow the word no room at all in our lives. There's no room for the Bible and the truth of Jesus at all. We're going to make up our mind regardless of whatever the Bible says whatsoever. Like the stony places, sometimes we have flashes of enthusiasm in, in receiving the word. We hear a message or something gets us fired up and then a week later we're back where we were before. I think the soil of the, the thorns, it's where the cares and deceitfulness of riches are constantly threatening to choke out the word and the truth of the word and the fruitfulness in our life. Because we have competing things for our attention. And they seem so attractive. And they end up just stopping us. I'll give you a good example of what one of the things I think that uh, some thorns that can be in people's lives. I see a lot of adults who are more invested in their children's sport than they are in teaching their children about the Word of God. And so what happens is their investment in their children's sport stops them going to church on a Sunday stops them from investing in the Word of God. And their child might do really well at that sport. But there's an eternal price to pay, both for their children and for them. Because I see a lot of those people just fall away. Good people. Wonderful people. And it's not, not all those people, but I just see that a lot as an example. And then you've got the good ground, the Word that bears fruit in our lives. See, I think we, we, can, we can identify with each of those things. And we notice that there's a difference in each category, and it's, the difference is not the seed. It's the same seed that's sown in all four soils. It's the soil that's the difference. You can't blame the differences in the results on the sower or the seed only on the soil. 
And this parable really was an encouragement to the disciples because even though it might seem that very few respond, God's always in control and the harvest will come. Uh, that's especially meaningful in light of the rising opposition to Jesus. And even more than describing the, the mixed progress of the gospel message, the parable of the sower actually compels whoever's listening to it to ask, so what kind of soil am I? How can I prepare my heart and mind to be the right kind of soil? This parable invites some action on our part so that we can receive the word of God to its full benefit. Which leads me to my observation. What kind of soil are you? What kind of soil am I? That's it. That's my observation. That, that, that's what we should just take some time to think about. What kind of soil am I? We need to take time to pause and think about things like that. You can't just rush through. You have to ask. You have to think. You have to reflect. And then you have to change course if you need to. Maybe you've got to get rid of some weeds. Maybe there's some cares of this world that have started to choke out the promises of God and his word. I don't know. But you know. So you pray. And you ask God, God, help me be the right kind of soil. Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon what kind of soil we are, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to identify that. Lord, if we need to do some weeding, get rid of some, some of the noxious weeds that have started to choke out the promises of your word, convict us of what those things are, allow us to have them removed in our lives, and move on to a place where we can produce the fruit that you've called us to produce. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.